Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Follow us on Twitter at 937thefan, driven by Jim Shorty Kia, Pittsburgh's number one Kia dealer shop, all three locations at shortykia.com. Last hour of Bucko Talk for this week. Craig Riley with you. Every Saturday, 9 to 11, we take a look back on the past week. We look ahead, big picture, everything that's going on with the team. This week, we got a lot of Ben Charrington to break down. He met with the media just yesterday. The trade deadline, only nine days away now. We already talked about the trade deadline, what I think could happen, what I think should happen. But what we're getting into now a little bit is more of what Ben Charrington had to say in the last segment of what we heard. Talking about Gregory Polanco. He talked about the talent not being all that matters when you're looking at him on the field. And I agree. Sometimes there's more to it than that. Talent is the most important thing, though. Gregory Polanco has talent. I will not disagree with that. When he connects with the ball, he can hit it as hard as anybody in the league. That's what everybody will tell you when they look up exit velocity. Great. What I'll tell you is he rarely makes contact with the ball right now. That's a problem. Give me a guy that's middle-of-the-pack exit velocity, that hits the ball 10 times as much as Gregory Polanco, as opposed to Gregory Polanco at this point. Because for me, there, there was growing concern last year when we heard them talk about Gregory Polanco's shoulder. Remember the shoulder that had to be surgically repaired after that god-awful slide a couple years ago? The talk of that shoulder is that it's not always going to bother him, but it's always going to be something that's, it'll need maintenance. It'll need monitored. It's never going to be fully right. Gregory Polanco's not a 162-game-a-season player. We knew that anyways because he's maybe the streakiest hitter I've ever seen in my life. That in itself does not lend it to playing 162 games. But then you add in the fact that this shoulder is going to be a problem for him, and that's concerning because let's say, Gregory Polanco, at his best, had those wild ebbs and flows. Let's say he's getting hot and is about to hit one of those big streaks in the season and the shoulder starts to bother him and he loses that part of the year. Let's say he goes back into another cold streak after that. That's going to ruin a season for Gregory Polanco. 
the regime was very high on him during spring training. I was down there for the first two weeks of it, and they talked about him. And this is a wild fact, because this is what everybody point out. The longest tenured pirate when he showed up. Gregory Polanco is the longest tenured member of the Pirates. That's just a wild stat to me. But anyways, they were high on him. They talked about the talent that he has. They talked about the shoulder being healthy, the work he put in the offseason. You even heard them talk about the smile on his face. Oh, he looks happy. Looks like he's in a better place. And that's all well and good. But none of it counts for anything if the guy's not playing in games. And he's not right now. Gregory Polanco is not even hitting his weight at this point, is he? I don't know how much Gregory Polanco weighs. But I look at his batting average, and it's not good. That's for sure. Is he going to be able to hit higher than what he's done this year? He better. It's going to be hard for him not to, frankly. Gregory Polanco, as of right now, is hitting 085. Yeah, he's hitting, not hitting his weight, Craig. Gregory Polanco doesn't weigh 85 pounds. I, I even thought maybe it's 185. Nope. 085. That's what Gregory Polanco's hitting. And that came up. He went one for four last night, but he also struck out twice. And that's the thing. Generally just looks lost in the plate. In the outfield, teams have taken chances running on him because they know about his shoulder. And we know Gregory Polanco just defensively not a great outfielder. At what point do we just say it's not going to pan out for a guy? For me, now, that's how I feel about Gregory Polanco. But saying that is a major problem for the Pirates. Like I pointed out earlier, he's due $11 million next year with a $3 million buyout in 2022. That's $14 million. Even I can do that math. $14 million that's guaranteed to Gregory Polanco over the next two years. A $12.5 million option in 2022 and a $13.5 million option in 2023. Say they buy him out after 2022. Like I said, there's the $3 million buyout, $11 million due next year, $14 million for a team that is absolutely in a rebuild mode. Maybe not even rebuild because they don't say that. They're in a build mode. Just build it from the ground up. There's very little that was here to build off of. Gregory Polanco is a problem for them. I, I, I think for them... Best case scenario was Gregory Polanco, like I mentioned, those hot streaks he would get that he started the year on one of them, and they could move him. I'm sure there's ways to get creative and move Gregory Polanco, but not this version of him, of him hitting 085. How much of that 14 guaranteed million over the next two years? Could be even more if they don't do that buyout in 2022. But as Jack Sorensic always tells me, when you have a buyout on a player... You look at that and add it to the year prior. So $11 million next year, the $3 million buyout, that's $14 million guaranteed. That's just how you have to view it. They, I am certain they want out from underneath $14 million due to Gregory Polanco. I can think of $14 million better ways to spend that money than on Gregory Polanco. I mean, do you... Find a team that will just take him and you throw them some money to get out under from some of it so you don't owe them all $14 million. That's preferable. But like I said, I don't even know if you can do that right now. I don't know if you can convince somebody to take him. Because are they going to want to be on the hook for money on Gregory Polanco? I, I can't imagine there's many GMs looking at that. And I don't even want to think about what you'd have to throw into a trade to get rid of him. 
Remember that Liriano trade to the Blue Jays and how upset everybody got at the players they threw into that one? This would be worse. And Gregory Polanco, I mean, he's not young. He's 28. He's on the wrong side of being healthy. We talked earlier about those guys that Ben Charrington thinks will be here when this franchise is contending again. Gregory Polanco, he ain't one of them. Not for me. Because, I mean, two years. You got him this year, you got him next year, and then you can buy him out. I can't see him being here longer than that. And that's the longest I see him being here if they can't get rid of him. But that sort of brings me to this whole idea, too, that a youth movement for the Pirates. What's that going to look like? A youth movement for them has to be calling up some of these young guys. Because you talk about players in the Pirates organization, you talk about all the young guys that are coming up. And too often, they're Kevin Newman's. Not picking on Kevin Newman. The old regime did a terrible job of getting guys up here in any sort of timely fashion. He's a victim of that. Turn out, I mean, he's a decent player now for them. But he's 27. That is not a youth movement player. Yes, they have club control over him for a while still because they brought him up so late. But other teams bring up young guys. They're not 27 years old. I mean, Chad Cole, I've been talking about him in the updates, what he did last night. Chad Cole looks decent. You may think, oh, Chad Cole, he's like a young guy on this team, right? Chad Cole's 28. He's about to turn 28, sorry. Don't want to shortchange him. He's currently 27. He's going to turn 28. But Chad Cole, if he's going to be a part of this team when they're contending again, it's going to take another deal to keep him here beyond that. He's arbitration eligible next year. That's three more years of club control. Free agent 2023. You think they're going to be contending by 2023? I do not. So where are the young guys? Brian Reynolds, I'd still classify him as one of them. He's 25, and this is a knock on the old regime, not the current one. He got here at 25 because the Giants did a lot of the legwork, to be honest. The Pirates traded Brian Reynolds. I'm sure everybody remembers this, the Andrew McCutcheon deal. So the Giants brought him up through their system at a relatively normal speed for a prospect. The old Pirates regime did not bring players up like that. And that's kind of the problem, too, for me. I don't want to get too much into this right now because it's like in the weeds. But there's a lot of people here still from the old regime that I, I worry some of the same stuff from before is going to be done. And it has to change. Ben Charrington, I, I've asked Jason Mackey this before when we've had him on, our Pirates insider here at the Fan Post-Gazette, Pirates beat writer. What Ben Charrington's known for? I thought in the past Neil Huntington was known for finding closers, building bullpens, reclamation projects. When he was at his best, those things were going well. So what's Ben Charrington's thing? Jason told me it's scouting players and developing them. And that is what this organization needs more than anything. They need to be getting guys here quicker than the old regime did. Your youth movement, you don't want it to be on the backs of guys that are in their second year in the majors at 27. Kevin Newman. Chad Cole is third year, 28. Tommy John surgery slowed that down. Brian Reynolds is 25. That's a good range for you. You still got a lot of club control over him. Cole Tucker just turned 24. You can argue whether or not he's a part of the future. I think in some role he is. He's 24. That's good. 
Josh Bell, he's not a young guy. He's 28. They don't have these young guys. Up next, I want to get more into this idea of how the Pirates move forward. Because that's what one thing I saw a lot of people latch on to was what Ben Charrington said yesterday about the guys they have here that will be part of the future. They're going to need to add to that list with some other young guys still. So I want to get into that and point out, I'll give you examples across baseball of what real young guys look like. How it looks when you bring up young guys that are going to change the landscape of your organization. Change the future of your franchise. And we'll take a look at whether or not the Pirates have guys like that. And realistically, when we could see them. There's guys in Altoona that could be part of the solution. I don't know when we're going to see them. It better be before the end of this year, I'd think, though. You can text us your thoughts on that. Give it to us on the Edgar Snyder and Associates fan text line at 412-928-9370. Edgar Snyder and Associates reminds you to text responsibly. Stick with me here. Craig Riley, Bucko Talk on the fan. Craig Riley back with Bucko Talk every Saturday here on the fan, 9 to 11. This week we've been breaking down a lot of what Ben Charrington had to say yesterday and getting into what the future holds because, frankly, a big step in that direction will be hopefully taken in nine days at the trade deadline. And Ben Charrington talked a lot about that. That had me thinking about what the future looks like for this franchise, how they get to where they want to be back in contention, how long it takes, the moves that need to be made to get there for them. And talked in the last segment about the young guys that they have, not all that young, Kevin Newman, 27, Chad Cole, 28, Reynolds, 25, that's good, Cole Tucker, 24, he's going to be a part of it, all good. Mitch Keller, 24 years old, that's right where you want your future stud pitcher. He's in a good place. But I look across the league and wonder what it's going to take for the Pirates to find some of those true young guys that can change a franchise. Ronald Acuna was 22 22 now with the Braves. How about the guy everybody talked about all week? Fernando Tatis Jr., the grand slam he hit on the 3-0 pitch. People all upset about him, but the fact is that guy is absolutely killing the ball right now. He's 21. Those are guys at that age that can change the direction of your franchise. Do the Pirates have guys like that? I look at that Altoona Satellite Camp and see what they have there. Cabrian Hayes, we all know that. Cabrian Hayes is a guy that everybody likes. Everybody wants to see him here, and but once the service time, the service clock and all that goes past, he'll be here. Very confident of that, barring an injury or anything like that. O'Neill Cruz. Can he be a guy like that for this franchise? He's at that young enough age that could be a sort of, I don't want to call him generational talent. I'm not going to go that far. But a guy that helps change the trajectory of your franchise. He's at the satellite camp. Could we see him by the end of the year? Blake Cedarland in the bullpen. Guy throws absolute gas. Could we see him? Ben Charrington did talk about Hayes and Cedarland when he was on that Zoom call with reporters yesterday. And I was just curious where Cabrian Hayes and Blake Cedarland are physically as far as their you know, readiness to play in games at this point and then developmentally how far away they might be from joining you in Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, both are coming along well, both uh, you know, doing everything on the field in Altoona. Um, 
again, that's different than a normal minor league season. And uh, on the position player side of things, this isn't specific to Cabrian, but really everybody there is, uh, you know, w- one of the things we've been challenged by and frankly trying to figure out is how to replicate a nine inning baseball game just from a the like physical load that it requires to play a nine inning major league baseball game, the amount of time you're on your feet, uh, the amount of stops and starts and running and et cetera. Um, and how do you replicate that without an actual nine inning game? So um, trying to be creative with that uh, to try to replicate that, but that's part of the progression for any position player there. And, and then especially for Brian, cause he missed, since he missed some time, um, I think we've seen already in the big leagues this year, certainly on the pitching side, and a little bit on the position player side too, that, um, you know, a major league baseball game, you know, brings with it like physical challenges that uh, are different than practice. And if you're not really fully ready for that, um, you know, guys can get banged up and injuries and hopefully those are short term and small things, but sometimes they can be bigger. So we want to be careful about that. Uh, on the pitching side, it's a little bit easier to control in that you can simulate an inning um, maybe more easily than you can a nine inning game. Um, and so it's a little bit easier to simulate, but the same would apply. And in Blake's case, obviously missed some time. And so, and, and especially given the kind of pitcher he is, the kind of stuff he has and how hard he throws, uh, we want to make sure he's had enough reps and enough buildup uh, where he's in a safe spot. Um, and he's, he's on his way to that. He's doing well. Um, I say more generally, Adam, I would just say that, look, we, you know, very clear that uh, we need to be investing in young players and young player development. And uh, that includes playing time at the major league level. And, uh, would expect that will continue to happen, you know, likely increasingly um, over the, you know, the remaining time of this season, the next several weeks. Now that Ben Charrington and I can agree upon. These guys need to be here. Do I think Cabrian Hayes is ready for the major leagues? Yes. Now, his situation was a weird one because of testing positive for COVID, trying to get back in, in shape and get ready for the season, and it may still just come down to service time anyways. Do I think Blake Cedarland is ready for the majors? In a normal season, no. He wouldn't be with the Pirates probably at any point this year. Barring some miraculous run in the minors and injuries, things could happen. But just based off his own progression, unlikely. O'Neill Cruz would not be with the Pirates at any point this year in a regular season. This is not a regular season. This is a season where the Pirates... I mean, they sit here just calling it like it is a 5-17 and 17 record. Could they be worse than what they're already running out there? Yes. Could they be significantly worse? I'd argue removing some of the guys that are in this lineup now and replacing them with those players, you probably wouldn't notice a huge difference. Not that they play these same positions, but shuffling guys around and getting Polanco and his 085 average out of the lineup getting Adam Frazier's 174 out of the lineup, Gerard Dyson's 133 out of the lineup. I'm going to let these guys come up here and learn this year. In the case of Cabrian Hayes, it's time. It's time for him to find a position, make it his, and become that solid player for the Pirates that he is projected as his career through the minor leagues. The bat wasn't where it, was, where it needed to be last year. That's why he never made it up here. The glove, it's already a gold glove caliber glove. So that's fine. 
let him come up here and start to figure it out with the bat at the major league level and see what he's up against with major league pitching. With Blake Cedarland, let him come up here and see how his stuff plays against major league bats. He got a taste of that in spring training. We got to see what he looked like, and he had a, he made a big impression. He is a nice piece to the back end of that bullpen for the future of this franchise. And going back to the idea from earlier, Ben Charrington talking about players that will be here when they're contending again, Blake Cedarland falls in that category for me. Cabrian Hayes falls in that category. O'Neill Cruz, same thing. So get them here. Let O'Neill Cruz see what it's like to face Major League Pitching. And if he struggles, then next year, if everything's back to normal, he starts the year AAA, knows what he needs to work on, and knows how to get back here and what's in store for him when he's on the Major League roster again. That's what this needs to be about for the Pirates. It doesn't need to be about Eric Gonzalez out there every day. Yes, Eric Gonzalez had a nice run. He's still hitting 281, and he was hot for a while. He's not part of the future. If he has to sit and not get consistent at bats because they want to get O'Neill Cruz at bats, I'm very good with that. Same to get Cabrian Hayes up here. Guys like that can take a back seat to, your, to the futures, potentially, of your franchise. And the whole thing about the Altoona Satellite Camp, it's better than nothing, and it's a very weird year in that regard that these guys can't develop in their normal way. But let's face it, for Cabrian Hayes and O'Neill Cruz, Ben Charrington said it there. They're struggling to give them the reps of what a full nine-inning workload would feel like. My problem is they're facing a lot of guys that can't even crack the Pirates roster right now. Are they getting the kind of work that's going to make them a better hitter? Are they able to even achieve that down there with the type of pitching they're being exposed to? That's another reason they're going to need to be here, especially O'Neill Cruz. Like I said, O'Neill Cruz would not be in the major leagues this year, barring crazy circumstances with injuries. But he will be better served, and it's not going to hurt the organization because, as I keep saying, losing's okay this year. It's not going to hurt the organization for him to come up here and struggle and see real pitching because he's probably not seeing a whole lot of that down at that or up at that Altoona satellite camp. So I think that's where they need to get with these guys. Get them here. Let them see what it's going to be like. They're using that uh, taxi squad to get some of the guys exposed a little bit. Jared Oliva is another guy that they could do that with. And these aren't, like, that's not a guy that I think is going to change the direction of this franchise. He could be a piece of it. But I don't lump him into the O'Neill Cruz, Cabrian Hayes category. But at this point, see what these guys can do. The second you think you're past that point in this season where they won't accrue a year of service time, which I know is a big argument. They shouldn't do that every year, but this is the season not to waste a year of service time for a guy. The second you think you're clear of that, call those guys up. Let them play and let them see what they can do. If they struggle, that's fine because they know what they have to do to work on to get back to this point. And maybe they pleasantly surprise you. And maybe you take a step forward quicker than you thought you could have. That's the, those are the worst-case scenarios. I mean, what do you have to lose? Literally nothing. You get Dyson out of the lineup. You get Polanco out of the lineup. Adam Frazier, I think that was a guy they wanted to trade, but hitting 174, they're not going to be able to. So if he has to come out of the lineup to move things around and get some of these guys playing time, that's fine. You want to play O'Neill Cruz at short, slide Newman over to second, Cabrian Hayes at third? I like the look of that. I'll, I'll watch that. If that means Eric Gonzalez 
and Adam Frazier have to sit, and Dyson and Polanco have to sit because you're putting Cole Tucker out in the outfield more than, I'm fine with that. Do it. Let's see some of these young guys. Let's see what they can do. Every week on Bucko Talk, though, I like to do a segment, what we learned about Derek Shelton the past week. We're still learning about him, who he is as a manager, how he's going to manage this team, how he's going to manage a team when he has a ton of talent or potentially enough talent to contend. That's what we're learning. We don't know. He's a, he's, he's a nice, happy, jovial guy. You hear a lot of sound bites to make you laugh. You tune into the Cooking Joe show every Wednesday at noon when he comes on. It's a great interview. But who is he as a manager? We got a better idea of that this week. I have a couple of clips I'll play for you that tell us how Derek Shelton is going to handle different situations as he's faced with them. One of them relates to that Fernando Tatis situation from this past week. We'll get into that next here on Bucko Talk. All right. Instead of getting to that next, we got to do that now. Technical problem we're dealing with back with Matt Harkins handling on the other side of the glass. So it, here's where I want to go with this Derek Shelton talk. We'll get to part of it now. We'll get everything back up and running. We'll finish it after we get to that next segment. But as we learn about Derek Shelton, Craig Riley here with Bucko Talk, I don't know all the different ways Derek Shelton is going to handle situations as he faces them. The only thing we can do is listen to the interviews he does with the media pre- and post-game listen to his show with Cook and Joe every week, and try to piece together what Derek Shelton looks like as a manager when he eventually has the kind of talent and roster that can contend. I think Derek Shelton has a chance to be here, because I've said it before, I think we are years away from contention again. I think they like Derek Shelton. I think it's not fair to pull the rug out from underneath him at any point. you got to give him a chance to manage with a good team. I know people don't like the moves they've seen from him this year. I complained about one of them this past week. Stephen Brault pitched those five good innings, shutout innings, against the Indians. Had a very good start. And then Derek Schoen elected to bring in Dovidas Nevaroskis and his ERA in the sixes in a tied game. Dovidas, predictably, I tweeted out before he even came in the game, that, lead was, or that tie game was not safe. He predictably blew it. And then in the next inning, what was very strange, they turned to Jeff Hartley, who has an ERA in the threes, when they're down 3 nothing. Why not bring in Hartley, the guy with the ERA in the threes, when the game's tied, to try and keep yourself in it, as opposed, as opposed to taking the risk of a Dovidas Nevaroskis and hoping he can keep the game tied for you, when I think we all know that's not likely to happen. So I look at situations like that, but the problem here is when you try to judge Derek Shelton off those moments, you have to look at what he's choosing from at times. He had to run out Miguel Del Pozo how often because they just didn't have arms. This bullpen has suffered a number of injuries. Guys haven't pitched up to what you thought they would. They've not been left in an ideal situation. So I look at those situations, and yes, I don't like them, but I don't think they're accurate pictures of who Derek Shelton is going to be when managing a team with more talent. So I have a couple of moments from the past week of what we learned about Derek Shelton. The first one I want to get to here is the more exciting of the two because the Fernando Tatis Jr. Grand Slam earlier in the week the Padres are up big, 10-3, top of the eighth. Tatis Jr., bases loaded, 3-0 count. 
swings away and hits a grand slam, and it creates a firestorm across baseball of whether or not that was the right thing to do. So it's fair to wonder, what would Derek Shelton do in a situation like that? Is he more the old school mentality or the new school? Well, he was on the Cooking Joe show for his weekly spot every Wednesday at noon, and he was asked about that very situation. Derek, did you see the Fernando Tatis grand slam? No, he didn't. That was my interview with him. <laughs> that was my question to him on the Zoom call. This was the Cooking Joe. I wanted to get your take on uh, what's been the big story in baseball the last couple days, the whole Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting a grand slam home run on a 3-0 pitch. I believe his team was up seven runs. Criticized by his own manager for doing it criticized by the Texas manager for doing it, but defended by just about everybody else in baseball. Where did you stand on that, Derek? Well, first and foremost, I didn't see it until yesterday because we had the off day uh, the other day and didn't really spend much time with baseball. It was my wife's birthday, so did that. Uh, But, you know, it's one of those situations. It's not our club. I don't know the situation if he had to take or didn't have to take. I've heard different stories on that. But uh, I, honestly, I think we got more important stuff in the world to worry about than if guys were swinging at 3-0. So, you, I mean, but if it's your guy, you don't have a problem with it? If it's our guy, honestly, he's probably got to take time. So, you know, in, in that situation and something that, that we would give, I, I don't know. That, and that's why, you know, it, I don't like to comment on the fact that because I don't know what the situation was there or if, you know, he had to take or didn't have to take, but in our situation, the guy would, in, in that situation, would have to take. Now, I'm just curious. No, I know you don't, you can't speak about what happened there, but you, with your situation, you know the volatility of, of bullpens these days, and to me, you never have enough runs, right? Yeah, I don't, I, I think so, and I think the one thing that, you know, people are talking about in this situation is the unwritten rules of the game, and you know, honestly, <clears throat> there's no unwritten rules in the game. I mean, there's certain things that we abide by and there's certain things you do, but I think we spend way too much time focusing on what other people do and, and what's going on instead of just handling, you know, our own business. But, you know, you always want to continue to score runs. You always want to continue to add on. And and as we've talked about numerous times, because to your really good point there, the volatility of bullpens and who's available and not, you're going to try to score runs. I am much more of the new school variety of let a guy eat when he's hot like that, Fernando Tatis Jr. Derek Shelton says he might give his guys the take sign there. I want to get more into that. I was surprised by that answer from Derek Shelton. I'll be very honest with you. We got more what we learned about Derek Shelton still to come, too. He talked about the Fernando Tatis situation there. But he also talked about the role changes and how he feels about them this year. He's navigating through them as a first-time manager. That's all still to come. Craig Riley here on Bucko Talk. Last segment of Bucko Talk for the week. Craig Riley back with you. We got everything ironed out at the end of that last segment. We're good. We're back on. And we're back to learning about Derek Shelton as we do every week here. So what we learned about Derek Shelton this past week, we've heard him weigh in on Fernando Tatis Jr. Says he'd probably give his guys the take sign there. I wish that wasn't the case. Uh, I had a question to him in the Zoom call the day after that all happened with Fernando Tatis Jr., Made me think that he was more okay with his guys swinging away there. Told Ron Cook, though, on the Cook and Joe show that it sounded more like he'd go the take sign for them. So there's that. We learned that about him. Now what do we know about Derek Shelton on these role changes this year? There's a number of them from the runners starting on second and extras, the relievers having to go three innings, all of it. Derek Shelton was asked about the role changes and how he feels about them this year. 
want to ask you about a couple of these rule changes now. Uh, you know, starting with the DH, you grew up as a National League kid, and, and then you coached in the American League. How do you think the universal DH is working uh, for the National League teams and for your team in particular? Well, I think it's working overall. I mean, anytime you add a hitter into in, into the mix, it, it definitely helps for the safety of pitchers. And, that you know, that's the one thing where I really felt coming into this year it could be advantageous for, for National League teams. I mean, as we've seen throughout the league and with our own club, the number of pitchers being injured is, you know, maybe at a little bit of an alarming rate. Uh, I think if we were adding pitchers into hitting in, the, in a shortened time like this, too, it would be even worse. So, you know, I'm uh, I'm happy that with the fact that we instituted it for this year. Do you like that managing part of the game? Managing with the DH? Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't, like you said, I mean, it's been something that I, I grew up with and am very comfortable with. So, yeah, I've been very comfortable managing with it. How about the uh, relief pitcher to three batters? Do you like that role? Yeah, I think I'm still kind of trying to figure that, that one out. I mean, honestly, in terms of if I like it or, or don't like it, I think some of the research that, that showed that, you know, it would, it wasn't factored in that much last year. I think the challenging part for it is the fact of, you know, sending guys back out for one or two hitters and, and how you're doing that and making the decision on that. And I think some of that's been taken care of just for, health of pitchers and not sending guys back out. But uh, in the initial stages of it, uh, I think I'm 50-50 on it still. I mean, I know that I, I know you'd rather me have an opinion on it, but I'm still, uh, I'm still kind of ambiguous on it. No, I know. That's fine. Uh, how about uh, the way the extra innings are starting with the guy in second base? Uh, I get it. Uh, I get why it's happening that way. I don't like it. I'm, I'm a real traditionalist. I'm just curious what you think about it. Uh, I would prefer to go back to the way it was. I think we should play the game, you know, I think we should play the game, uh, you know, with with nobody on base and start it that way. I mean, I definitely understand this year and, you know, appreciate the thought that Major League Baseball is trying to, trying to limit, you know, the amount of pitchers being used. And obviously, I think if we were playing non-traditional, or we were playing traditional extra inning games, we would be using more pitchers and, Again, as we're seeing the amount of pitchers being injured and the challenges there, it's challenging. But in terms of the actual rule, no, I'm not a big fan of it. You know, it's funny, though. You know, I'm a National League guy. I don't really like the DH because part of it is the managerial strategy without a DH. Yet I guess when you start with the guy on second base, that brings a whole new level of strategy into it, right? Whether you give up an out to bunt a guy over. I find that part of it a little bit fascinating. Yeah, I think that that part of it is extremely fascinating. I mean, you talk to, and I think we talked about it one day on the show, you talk to a bunch of different people about it and how the bunt comes into play, if you're going to play for one run, if you're going to play for two runs. I mean, who made the last out? So who's going to be out there running? Uh, are you going to pinch run for that guy? You know, if the first team doesn't score, are you going to bunt? If the visiting team doesn't score, are you going to bunt to get the guy to third? There's so many factors strategy-wise in this that, that can be played out that if you are a traditionalist you really and you really like strategy in the National League game, there's a ton of strategy in this. And, and I think a lot of people are trying to figure it out. What we learned about Derek Shelton this week could morph into what we learned about Ron Cook. And I learned nothing because I already knew Ron was going to hate every single change baseball made this year. And 
He didn't disappoint. Now, what we learned about Derek Shelton, he's 50-50, he said, on the relief pitcher or pitcher having to face a minimum of three batters. That's because he got burned by Miguel Del Pozo so many times that I think he's tired of that role. I'm sure he would like to have thrown him out there for one batter and said, that's it, get out, and he had to watch him struggle. That's the Del Pozo effect we're going to call that one. The DH, he's very correct. Protecting pitchers, and that's more important than ever in a season like this. I hope it continues. I love it. Now, what I really like and thought I was going to hate is what, obviously, Ron didn't like. Totally predictable. I'm surprised Shelton goes traditionalist on starting runners on second in in the extra innings. I will say, for my own enjoyment of things, betting on games once they hit that 10th inning and a runner starts on second is very enjoyable. I I have a great time trying to figure out how that's going to play out. Do I always win them? Absolutely not. If you're following me on Twitter, I've been on the coldest streak of my life the past week. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. But Shelton, a traditionalist, wish there wasn't that. But I think there's even more strategy to be dug into that that we haven't seen yet, where teams potentially just walk that first batter they face to get a force out at third, put two runners on, and deal with it from there. I think there's still more for teams to figure out on that front. But that's what we learned about Derek Shelton this week. Next week, I'll have more for you on Shelton, what I've learned about him, We'll talk about what the Pirates have done over that period of time as well. we got a doubleheader this week against the Cardinals to talk about. Lots going on for the Pirates this week, and we'll be that much closer to the trade deadline just nine days away. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.